Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like somebody stole an hour of my life that I'll never get back. Um, we are in the middle of this series entitled Describing the Indescribable, which is born out of some conversations that Jesus had in the New Testament of the Bible where he's trying to describe the indescribable nature of the kingdom of heaven as an attempt to help us to understand what it's all about. I mean, we come at it from kind of a three-dimensional quality, and it goes way beyond those realms. And so Jesus tells a series of stories and really gives us word pictures um, to help paint a picture in an effort to help us to just even scratch the surface to gain some kind of an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is really all about. And the problem is, for a lot of us, that not only can we not envision it, um, many of us tend to put it off to the side. And we live pretty checked out as it relates to the whole spiritual side of our life. And so we tend to kind of live tunnel-visioned, going through our days without, you know, even considering the spiritual nature of our life. And so we hit autopilot and we coast and we just do the daily grind day in and day out. But I really believe that no matter how hard we try and avoid it, there is something that is inside of us that drives us to a pursuit for meaning. Like we want to know that at the end of the day, when we come to the end of our life, that our lives mean something, something more than just this world. The kingdom of heaven is typically described, we speak of it as the place that we will one day go when we die. But what if it isn't that at all? What if that's not what Jesus is talking about when he continues to try to drive home what the kingdom of heaven is all about? What if the kingdom of heaven is in the here and now? What if the kingdom of heaven is inside you? Is it possible to walk through the world like that where we are fully aware of not just what we can see and touch and hear, but that which is beyond the realm of this world. When I um, ask you what your passion is in your life, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? A lot of us, um, it's a person, maybe it's a husband or a wife or kids or Parents, uh, I think for others of us, it might be some hobby that we have, um, our careers. But can you ever honestly say that you have a passion for God? I mean, honestly, most of us probably can't, really. And we can say that we believe in God. We can say that um, we attend church that the God experience is important to us, that we do a few things because of the belief that we have. 
But passion, passion for God, that's a whole other thing. I mean, the word passion basically means that we are so affected by something that it changes the way that you live your life. It changes the way you live your life in its entirety. In his book, uh, Care of the Soul, Thomas More put it like this, passion is the essential energy of the soul. It's what drives us. It, it fuels us. It's at the core of every ambition that we have in our life. When you are so affected by something that it radically impacts you to the point that you begin to make significant changes in your life, to pursue that. What are you that passionate about? What do you seek in your life like that? What's the one thing in your life that drives you, that you live for? And Jesus said, I want the kingdom of heaven to be that thing. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, in just two lines, he sums it up by giving us this word picture. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had. And he bought that field. Pretty simple concept, right? So, First of all, Jesus is clearly not describing the kingdom of heaven as some faraway place. It certainly seems to me, at least, that he is describing something that's either or not ha- either happening or not happening right now in our lives, in the here and now. He's also clearly saying that following God is not something that we do out of a sense of obligation or guilt. It's not something that's a chore for us. It's something that we desire so deeply that we are willing to give up everything just to get it. And then he says it's like this guy who was out working in somebody else's field. And as he was digging in the field, he hits something, something hard, and he's trying to figure out what it is, and so he brushes away the dirt until he can see the outline of a box. And so he bends down, and he digs it up, and when he does, he opens it up, and he sees that the box is filled with jewels and gold and riches that are way beyond anything that he could possibly have dreamed of. And he didn't know much, but he knew one thing. He knew he had to have it. And so he runs home and he, and he tells his wife, honey, we're, we're selling the house. We're putting it on the market. Have a garage sale. Sell everything that we can get. Like raise as much money as we can have. Sell the car. Sell everything that we own. We're going to buy that field that I've been working in. And she goes, honey, why do you want to buy that old raggedy field? That ain't worth nothing. He said, you'll see soon enough. Friends and family heard that he was selling everything to buy that old field. Thought he was crazy. They made fun of him. 
It didn't matter because he had to have it. It's all he could think about. When he finally sold everything that he had, he ran straight to the owner and offered a ridiculous amount of money for that field, way beyond its worth, and bought it right on the spot. And the first thing he did was to go and dig up that box. He opened that chest of great treasure and everyone around him was amazed and nobody thought him a fool again. What can you say that you have that kind of passion for? Something that you're willing to sacrifice everything, everything, in order to have it. My guess is that if you're here this morning, just by the fact that you've stepped into a church today, tells me that you're looking for something. It tells me that you at least believe that there is a God and that you want to know that there really is something more. But honestly, are we just kind of doing the bare bones to keep our faith afloat? Like, do we just keep dancing around this issue of really going all the way? Doing a deep dive in our faith? What will it take for us to move past the concept that our faith is just limited to being a nice idea that we kick around on a Sunday but then go back to our real life on Monday morning. How do we create a faith that is really me? Where it permeates every aspect of our life. I'd really like to uh, challenge us this morning to take a good, hard look at our faith. And I like to do this from time to time because I think that sometimes we, we lose perspective and we get a little desensitized in terms of where we're at in our faith. And so I want to look at our faith and do a little faith analysis by looking at it from an admittedly oversimplified um, description of the steps of faith. But what I'd like us to do is just take an honest assessment of where we're at on this continuum, where we really want to be and what will it take for us to get there? All right, so I'm going to put it in our Westridge context because I think it's the simplest. Because Westridge, in our vision statement, it's based on bringing people through a continuum of building a stronger faith and growing deeper in our relationship with God. And so we break it down into three movements. We call it the three E's. And we believe strongly that Westridge exists to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. And we say it's a continuum because the Bible teaches that we're never done, right? That we never, ever stop growing. And we should always work to grow stronger in our faith all the way until the day that we leave this earth. And so we describe... Uh, this faith continuum in three movements that we have to make in order to grow deeper in our faith in God. And so I'll break it down just real quickly. The first movement is this idea that we encounter the radical love of God. This is where we begin to move towards God for the first time. 
This is where we say, I believe in Jesus and I'm working on what it means to have a relationship with him, but I'm just trying to figure it all out. A lot of people at Westridge are in this category because I, I hope that we've created a safe place here where people can explore their faith at their own pace and not feel pressured and really figure it out and work it out to build a faith with their own two hands that becomes their faith and to give you the space to do that. And so this is the first step towards God when we come to the realization that the radical love of God, that the grace of God is so compelling that we want that in our lives, right? And so we start going to church. We start putting our our kids into Westridge Kids, or we start giving or serving in some capacity. However, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I think the key phrase in that verse is that phrase that says, earnestly seek him. Because that's not passive, is it? It requires some action. It doesn't just happen. Like, we have to be intentional about seeking God. And I think the main obstacle to this movement is just pure apathy. Like we're pretty comfortable in our life and taking any further steps, making any further movement in our faith would require us to be just a little more uncomfortable. We think that just believing in God is just enough and There is nothing really compelling in the Christian faith that will cause us to change our lives to the point that we become uncomfortable. The problem is that what the Bible discusses as being the kind of faith that is required by God is the kind of faith that goes beyond just an intellectual understanding of God. Jesus says, look, even the demons believe in God, and it scares the hell out of them. Excuse the pun. There's more to it than just that. And it's just taking that next step, that critical step in our relationship with God, which is the second movement, which says that we embrace it. I've accepted or embraced his forgiveness and grace, and I would call myself a follower of Jesus. This is the movement where our relationship with God gets authentic. It gets real. This is where it starts becoming more than just a a Sunday morning thing. You understand that there is more to being a follower of Jesus than just simply showing up every Sunday Embracing the love of God is more than just being religious. More than just being religious, it's about changing your life. You accept His forgiveness and all the junk of your past, and you start putting into practice what the Bible teaches about how we should then live and start living differently. You live your life and you make decisions about your life based on your faith in Jesus. Your life 
is based now on your belief in God. And so you have a deepening of your moral compass in the things that you choose to do or the things that you don't do. However, the biggest obstacle in this movement of embracing is that we try really hard to keep a foot in both worlds. It is very, very difficult to let go of our old self. It is very, very difficult to let go of the stuff of this world. But at the end of the day, Jesus asked that if we're going to follow him, that we be like that man who found that treasure buried in that field, and we give up everything. Everything. In order to live for only him. It's a big ask. It's a big commitment. Which brings us to that third and final step. This movement we call embody. And we call it that because we're trying to embody what it's like to be like Jesus. This is where we say, my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my life and it drives everything that I do. It moves us from just keeping the do's and don'ts of Christianity to understanding that everything we pursue in our lives are now driven by our desire to bring the light of God into a very, very dark world by doing good things. Like everything that we're doing is driven by trying to expand the kingdom of God. Everything that we're doing is trying to be like Jesus, to embody Jesus. This is really the toughest place to get in our relationship with God because it requires us to move into this area with a significant amount of sacrifice and commitment and tenacity And I would say that a very small percentage of us will make it to this level. Luke 9.23, Jesus puts it like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And we could translate to say, to kill off our old self. And take up our cross daily. To make daily sacrifices and commitments as a result of having our relationship with God that is driving us, and follow me. It is pouring your whole being into following Jesus. It's here that we really begin to not just do, but to love like the spiritual disciplines. Things like Bible study, and prayer, and times of solitude, and it's not, we're not doing it because we have to or because we're feeling guilty, but because we're really, really loving the connection with God that we're experiencing, and so it drives us into a deeper presence with God. This is where we begin to give differently. You know, we say this every Sunday morning during the offering time, that we never want anybody to give out of a sense of obligation or guilt. We'd rather you not give, and that's really true. Until you've come into your relationship with God, until you've come into this place where you have a desire to give, where you understand that the way that God designed the whole giving thing is that we are letting go of another little piece of this world every week. And it is a practice that we have to accomplish so that 
when it comes to the end. We can let it all go one day. But we begin to put everything differently, invert it, because now instead of being a taker and trying to accumulate more, we become givers as we embody Jesus. And then in Matthew 13, like, I'm not sure why he does this, but Jesus wants to drive this point home so deeply that he gives us another word picture in the next two verses that I think are almost, it's almost redundant. It's almost identical to the first one. And you can choose for yourself, but then Jesus drives us home and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything that he had, and he bought it. It's almost the same, isn't it? But it feels like he's really trying to drive this thing home. And I was struck that with this idea on both of these stories that it's like somebody is doing evaluation of this treasure in the field and this pearl. So you kind of like weigh, okay, here's what my house is worth. Here's what my land is worth. Here's what my car and my stuff is worth if I could get it in a garage sale. And here's what this treasure is worth. And this treasure is worth way more than what I own. And so I'm willing to sell everything in order to get that because I'm going to trade up in value, right? Same thing with the pearl of great price. He puts a value on this pearl and he says, this thing is more valuable than what I have and so I'm willing to trade up. I'm willing to get rid of everything to trade up in value for this one thing. I think where it gets sticky is you know, you go, oh, well, that's like pretty straightforward. That's a monetary value. You could say this is worth, you know, 10000 but this treasure in the field is worth 20000 That's a good trade. All my stuff's worth 100000 but this pearl is worth two fifty. That's a good trade. But how do you value giving up everything that you have in your life for something that you can't quantify? kingdom of heaven. When you get it, Jesus said, it's all you can think about. And you would do anything to have it because it has become so valuable for you that you're obsessed with it, that that's all that you want. And it's here that people start looking at you funny because you're truly living counter to this culture and they don't value the kingdom of heaven, like you do. The big obstacle in this movement is it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot. To live at this level of faith, it's a lot. I think there is this misnomer because the Bible says that we're saved by grace and not by works that we have this idea that our relationship with God, we just kind of just chill out and like let the grace thing happen and we just kind of coast through life and we don't have to work because the Bible says we're saved by grace and not by works. And that's not what it's saying at all. Like it's making a point in that Ephesians passage to say there's nothing you can do where you could work hard enough or to be good enough to save yourself, but it's by God and not by works that you're saved. But 
there's nothing in the Bible that tells me that we're like going to be able to just kind of coast through this life and, you know, pretty easy. I, I don't read it that way. I, seeking God earnestly, as the Hebrews passage said, disrupting our old self, making the changes that are required to live the way God asks us to live, to live like Jesus, I think, is a whole lot of work. It's a whole lot of sacrifice. And it requires us to add and, yes, even make adjustments to our busy calendars in order to make room for God. We prioritize things like going to church over being involved in extracurricular activities because we look at life differently. I mean, when you look at your calendar... It's a pretty good snapshot of what the priorities of your life is, isn't it? Because the God stuff is usually the first stuff to get cut out because it really isn't a priority. And so making going to church every Sunday with your family come hell or high water or making sure that you're serving in some capacity or doing small group or making giving a priority, it all sure seems like a lot of work and sacrifice, doesn't it? And so maybe, without even realizing it, we're pushing God further and further from our lives. And believe me when I say, I face the same struggle. I have to constantly fight and scrape just to keep my own connection with God. And it doesn't come naturally for me, I have to tell you. Just to keep myself growing forward. I hate speaking on topics like this because I feel like such a hypocrite. Because I'm not there. I haven't accomplished this. And I have to work my rear off all the time to remind myself to keep the junk of this world out so that I still have capacity to fill myself up with the stuff of God. So when you look at this continuum of faith, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? And what's it going to take for you to get there. Or maybe I should say, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to have that? Can you even envision giving everything up in order to have the kingdom of heaven inside of you? I would suggest that like we talked about in the 12-step series, that we disrupt ourselves. That we take steps and we challenge our perspective by taking steps that are uncomfortable. And so if you're somebody who hasn't been baptized, we have a service coming up. The Bible clearly says that as an act of obedience that we, he wants us to go public and be baptized. This is a great opportunity for you to disrupt yourself and to take that on. Or if you need another connection throughout the week and small groups is something that you can, you can take on. Or giving sacrificially to step up 
to giving, to challenge your faith, to practice more of the, of the letting go, or serving where you're putting more into your calendar of the God stuff. I don't care what it is, whatever it is. Do something to disrupt our old self, to put ourselves in an uncomfortable position that allows us to create change for us to go deeper in our relationship with God. But it requires us to take active steps in order to accomplish that. I think that this whole thing comes down to developing a passion for God. And again, I don't think that that comes naturally. I think that there are forces in this world, that there are a hundred things in this world that are trying to keep us away from that. But to develop this idea where our faith is more than just a Sunday morning thing or more than just a quick prayer before a dinner thing or just acknowledging that there's a God or being able to mention the word God in a group of people that makes us feel stronger. To move from that idea of a superficiality of our faith to really going deep and building a faith that is sustainable and meaningful and a faith that is strong enough to hold us even when the world is trying to distract us and pull us away every single day. I don't have the secret to keeping a passion for God in your life. I don't. Best I can figure. It is a constant, constant daily process of scraping and struggling and emptying ourselves out of all the junk of this world so that we can create capacity and keep filling our hearts up with the stuff of Jesus. But make no mistake about it. The point of these stories, when Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, it is like when you make him the one thing wants to be your everything. And when that happens, you begin to live a life of passion that goes way beyond anything you could ever imagine. And I've only just ever caught a glimpse of it in my own life. I've only ever just got a taste of it. But when I have, it has been so incredible. The people around you may think you're crazy but you know what's real. You know what's buried in that field. You know the value of that pearl. You know the value of having the kingdom of heaven inside of you. Because you're interested in investing in something that goes way beyond the realm of this world. The kingdom of heaven is not some faraway place anymore. It's not a place that we're just going to go someday when we die. It's right there. It's right there in front of you. And all you have to do is to reach out and take it. It's something that has meaning and purpose, and it lasts way beyond the grave. And I tell you this, Honestly, I'd give up everything.